You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. Kind of camped out in Genesis 2 and 3 for the next month or so, just kind of bouncing around. Um, but I do want to continually read through the text um, each week just so that we set the context for where we are. In Genesis 2, we'll start reading in verse 15. This is after we've been given details about God creating uh, Adam. Um, The Bible describes the earth in a condition where God had created it, where it needed mankind. It needed mankind to come in and cultivate it and, and to take over it. It says in verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had made had taken from the man, he made into woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Let's pray together. Lord, as we come now to a time of of studying your word, I pray that you would teach us this morning. I pray that as we continue to understand what it means to be created in your image and the responsibilities that were given to mankind through Adam and Eve, Father, I pray that we would embrace those responsibilities today, that as we leave today, Father, as we enter into the workplace, that we would faithfully subdue this earth the way that you've called us to. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We've already seen in this chapter, Genesis 2, how God demonstrates his goodness and his wisdom, that God continually provided for Adam right off the bat with his creation, that he creates Adam and Eve, that he begins showing them his His character, that he begins to build a reputation with Adam ultimately. So he creates Adam, and then he puts him into the Garden of Eden. So Adam was created outside the garden. He puts him into the garden to teach him that his his home, his provision of of a place to live comes from God. Remember, this this is Adam's first introduction to God. And God's building a reputation with him, wants him to understand that he's a good God, that he's a wise God, that he's a God that provides. And so God creates Adam and then puts him into this garden, into this home, this place to live. And then he gives him a job to do. Doesn't just create him without purpose. Doesn't give Adam the responsibility of coming up with his own purpose. Instead, he gives Adam a purpose for his creation, gives him a purpose for his existence. And we all desire to have that type of meaning, that type of purpose in our life. And it's communicated to us here. He gives a job to Adam. Adam is called to subdue the earth, to take what God has created and to use it, to to cultivate it, to, to create within God's creation 
things that will honor God, that will glorify God. It's not that Adam improves upon God's creation, but God has created the world in such a way that it necessitates mankind come in and, and work it and do things within it to glorify God. He gives him a job to do, and he gave him a companion. He creates this need in Adam by bringing all the animals before him and then providing Eve for Adam. We said that ultimately the, that man has a need for fellowship, that, that, that yes, there's a need for companionship uh, for Adam and Eve to, to be together to reproduce, but ultimately mankind needs fellowship. And so God said it's not good for one man to be alone. Instead, there needs to be a, a plethora or a multitude of men and women that can fellowship together, that can, that can work together, that can be companions together, and God provides that as well. And then last week we began to really focus in on the idea of, of work and the theology of work that's found here in Genesis 2. That, that a lot of times we feel like work is punishment. Most of us would opt not to work if we didn't have to. Most of us would, would prefer to do a lot of other things. And part of the reason for that is work is difficult as a result of sin. That because of sin, because of the fall, things are difficult in the area of work. But what we see in Genesis 2 is that work is a good gift from God. That it's part of our purpose, part of our reason for existence. And so understanding that work is a good thing. In fact, we saw last week that the Hebrew word for work is the same root word for worship. And that's such an important concept for us to grasp. That, that worship and work go hand in hand together. That when we step out of our houses tomorrow, on Monday morning, when we step out of our houses and go to the workplace... Or for those that stay at home and work at home, when you wake up in the morning, you have the opportunity to choose to worship God through the tasks that are laid before you that day. Worship through work. God has given us that avenue. God has given us that responsibility. It's our job to embrace it, to use the task that God has given us to worship Him. It wasn't just that Adam was told not to eat of a tree and that, that not eating of that tree would honor God, he was given a job to do, a task to do, and through that would ultimately worship God or not worship God. We saw last week there's some things that set us apart from the world and how we work, and then I want to give you some ways today, kind of continuing with last week's um, thoughts, some ways that we can make our work environment better for the glory of God. But last week we saw some things that set us apart from the world. Number one, a content calling. That we're called to be content with the jobs that God has given to us. That, that no matter what job you have, no matter how insignificant it may feel at times, the things that you are going to do tomorrow are given to you by God and are meant to be accomplished by you for his glory. And we see that Adam's discontentment really is shown in the fact that, that he wants a different job. Right? God gave him a job. You're my vice regent. You're my representative here on this earth. I want you to cultivate this earth. I want you to be the gardener of Eden. I want you to take care of my earth. Adam ultimately says, I'd rather be God than do God's work. I'd rather be the boss than be the one that works for the boss. And there's a, a usurping of the authority there. Ultimately, Satan's temptation is, do you want to do what God's called you to do? Or would you rather be the one making the rules? Would you rather be the boss? And we see Adam's discontentment with the job that God has given him. And what we see in God's word is that we're to strive for contentment in the jobs that God has given to us. I challenged you last week that, 
that you can help yourself out by striving to find a job that matches your giftings and your abilities. I told you we could all come up with our dream jobs, but they don't always match up with our giftings and abilities. I used the example last week that Jesse and I would love to move to the coast and buy a boat and charter fishing trips all day long. We're not really good at that yet. Like, that's not a gifting and an ability that we have. There's a lot of days we go out fishing and we don't catch anything. Nobody's paying us money to go fishing and not catch anything. So that's a dream job. It doesn't really match our giftings and abilities, right? I, for the longest time, wanted to be an administrator at a, at a Christian school and to work in a local church. And I do believe that God has given me giftings and abilities for those things so that when I wake up every day and I go to my job, I feel a sense of satisfaction and fulfillment because I believe I'm doing what God has gifted me to do. And so I challenge, I challenge you last week, I challenge you this week, to, to for the, especially for those of you that are in a season of life right now where you still have the opportunity to kind of choose your direction long term, to pick a job, to pick a direction that matches with your giftings and abilities so that you can be content in what God, what God has called you to do. Secondly, we said last week that we're to, we're to strive for excellence and efficiency. They were to put forth maximum effort for his glory. They were to be efficient at work so we can be efficient at home. This is especially true for the men of our, of our church. That you're efficient at work, that you accomplish what you need to at work so you don't have to bring the work home. So that you can be faithful to be what you need to be at home. For your, for your wife, for your kids, to be efficient at work so you can be efficient at home with the roles that God has given you. Number three, ethical effort, that in the midst of us working, we're to be different from the world and that we're to be honest and trustworthy. That we don't steal from our employer by being a slacker, right? Like we don't, we don't, we don't milk the system. We don't, we don't work, work ourselves around things at work that allow us to reap the benefits that ultimately is a form of stealing from our boss, which goes right along with, with our fourth thing, that we come prepared and we come in a punctual manner. That we show up to work on time, that we don't, we don't come in late, that we're prepared, we're ready to work hard. And number five, that we maintain a proper perspective, that our job is a gift to be used as worship, not a God to be worshipped. And that's kind of the other end of things. You can, you can fall prey to being the slacker, the guy that, that shows up to work late, that, that leaves early, that doesn't really work hard while he's there. Or you can be the one who, who pretty much pours themselves completely into their job, and their job becomes all of their security, all of their identity. It becomes their God that they worship. And we obviously want to steer clear of that. It's a, it's a tool to worship our God, not a God to then be worshipped by us. Which brings us to today, a theology of work part two. How can I make my work environment better for the glory of God? Where you work is where you have been called to worship God and to point others to him. It's your place of ministry. The Bible refers to us as ambassadors, right? And so our jobs are where we represent Christ. It's where we've been called to represent Christ. We kind of walked through some of the things that we do for a living last week, and I had you guys share. Um, I thought about doing a quiz today, but maybe we'll wait on that. I, I would encourage you, as especially those that are visiting and for our church family, as you're interacting, to be diligent to find out what everybody does with their week, right? Like, it gives you a lot of insight into how to pray for each other, how to encourage each other. Um, and so last week, we kind of ran around and shared some of the things that we do. Mike works at Grady. He works at Grady Hospital. Mike is Christ's representative there at Grady 
in a way that I'm not. I'm not sure that I've ever stepped foot at Grady Hospital. So in no way have I ever represented Christ there in the way that Mike has the opportunity to. As ambassadors, we represent Christ in our neighborhoods, in our homes, but, but we spend a lot of time, we spend the majority of our life at our jobs. And we're ambassadors for Christ in those settings, in those locations. I worship God primarily through my effort and through my interaction. I want to, I want to use both of those things to kind of drive where we're going to be today. I worship God through my effort in my job and through my interaction at my job. The effort that I put into my work and then the interaction that I have with those that I work with. And this applies for everybody, even those that stay at home, those that, that are raising children at home and homeschooling at home and working at home and, and doing things from the home place. You have effort that needs to be put forth at home with the job responsibilities that you have, with the help that you provide to your husband by being at home and, and, and managing the household, as well as the interaction that you have with your children that are at home. All of us, all of the, all of this is relevant for all of us, no matter where we're at, whether we're going somewhere or staying at home to accomplish the bulk of our work for the week. We worship God through the effort that we put into it and through the interaction that we enjoy with those around us. Number one in your notes there for today, how we, how we can make our work environment better for the glory of God. Because I challenged you last week that, that if your place of employment isn't a better place since you've been hired, that you're probably not worshiping God through your work. That if the place that you work is not a better environment with you there, since you've been hired, if it hasn't become an overall better environment, then you're probably not worshiping God the way that you should through your work. Because if we're worshiping God at our work, even lost people should say, this is a better place since so-and-so was hired. They, they, they add so much to what's going on here. And if that's not the case, then I challenge you to kind of step back and say, all right, if my coworkers couldn't say that, then I need to make some drastic changes in how I'm approaching my work. Because my coworkers should say, this has been a lot better since you arrived. That this environment is far better because of what you add to it. All right, number one, depending on God. Depend on God. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn from evil. Depend on God. Your work environment will be better. You will be a better employee if you approach each day knowing that your dependence is upon God and not your own abilities and not your own wisdom. It's going to reduce the amount of stress that you feel in the job place if you know you're fully depending on God to work through you. In John 15, 5. Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. 
Let me tell you two things that I've started praying on my way to work each day. Because I want to be the type of man that does depend on God. Because I'm prone to rely on my own giftings and abilities that are sourced from God. But too often times I claim them as my own. And if I'm not careful, I approach my work, I approach the tasks that are before me in my own dependence, depending on my own abilities, my own wisdom, my own giftings, and I want to leave God out of it. And so I've started to try to approach each day praying on my way to work, two different things. Number one, praying for help with the tasks that are placed before me. Specifically praying to God about the things that I have before me that day and praying for increased wisdom to help me with those tasks, right? James says, if you lack wisdom, pray and God will give it to you. And so I'm praying for that regularly each day as I drive to work. Praying because my job especially demands a lot of wisdom. As a principal, I'm faced with with decisions and situations and conflict that comes up every single day, things that I can't even anticipate. Some things I know are coming. Some things I, I get on the fly every day. And so I pray driving into work, God, give me wisdom today. In the same way that Solomon said, I need wisdom to accomplish what you have for me. God, give me wisdom because I'm going to have to make quick decisions today. I'm going to be faced with situations that could have all kinds of ramifications if it's handled wrongly. And so I'm praying that God will give me wisdom each day to handle the tasks that I'm going to face, expressing my dependence on him. And then secondly, praying that I would do nothing to jeopardize my ability to provide for my family. Praying that I would do nothing to jeopardize my ability to provide for my family. A lot of us work in, in job situations where we're one mistake away from not having that job anymore. And if I'm not careful, I'm so dependent on myself and I, and I, and I leave God out of things and, I, and I'm walking through my day making decisions and, and doing things out of my own ability. If I'm not careful, I'm going to make a mistake to where I come home and tell Lauren that I no longer work at Trinity. That a mistake that I've made has jeopardized my ability to continue working there. That my employment has been compromised. And so I'm praying regularly that I don't do anything that jeopardizes that. That that I'm recognizing that I've got to depend on God for everything that I'm doing at my job place. And that frees me to go about my day making those decisions and and working hard, knowing that that I'm expressing dependence on God, I'm asking for His help, trusting that He's going to be there to give me the understanding that I need as a fulfillment of his promises. Depend on God. Number two, develop your skill. Develop your skill. All of us that have jobs right now, we should strive to become better at what we do. To be a good steward of the abilities that God has given to us. Striving to become better at what we do. Even if it's a job that you're working right now that you don't want to do long term, as long as God has you in that place that you're striving to become better at doing that job than when you were first hired, that you're looking to increase your capacities and abilities to perform the jobs that your boss has laid before you, that we're striving to develop our skill in a way that will honor God. The excellence of the product or the service that you render should reflect the excellence of God. Remember, we work for a different boss. We said last week that that we all have bosses at our jobs, but we work for a different boss. And the way that we work should reflect that we really believe that. 
And so the effort, the, the, the effort with the skills that we have to accomplish at our job, the effort that we put into it should reflect the ex- excellencies of God. We strive to become better at what we do by being a good steward of the abilities that God has given to us. Number three, manage your money. Manage your money. So we're using our work. We're using the things that God has given to us. We're trying to make an environment that brings him glory. We manage our money well. We budget our money well so that our work is not a stressful environment. Right? A lot of us, a lot of times when you interact with your coworkers, there, there's a stress level there because of, of money problems at home. Right? And so, so the job place becomes a place that, that they can't really enjoy working because they're constantly worried about the money that they need to generate from that job. And a lot of times they're in a situation where the money that they're earning that day is not sufficient for the financial demands at home. And so it, it, it makes the workplace just completely all out of whack. And if we manage our money well, then we can go to our jobs, we can work it well, and not experience the stress level of feeling like we've got to accomplish more than we can at our jobs. We manage our money well for the glory of God so that we can enjoy our jobs and work it well for His glory. We also anticipate raises and plan to use the money well for His glory. Right? So, so going along with our goals back there in the back, we want to we wanna build a church that can send people out overseas to plant another church. I told you in order to do that, we're going to need an increased amount of money that our people are making so that we can give it to these people that are going to go overseas and plant a church. Right? So, so I'm praying that God will grant raises to you at your jobs. Not so we can go build a building, right? Like we're, we're settled in here. This is what it is. Not so I can become full time, right? Because I'm not becoming full time. This is, this is what it is. This is, this is what it is for us as a church. I'm a bivocational pastor, and I plan to always be that. We're not building a building, so we don't need increased money so that we can increase our, our church's kingdom. We want God to bless you guys financially so that we can send members of our church overseas and provide for them financially so that the gospel can go places where people have never heard about Jesus. So we work hard. We develop our skills. We do our jobs well. Not just so that we personally worship God, so that others can know about Christ. So that your job performance, your boss looks down and says, this place is better since I hired this person. I don't want to lose this person. I'm going to increase their pay to keep this person here at my job. And you anticipate that. You anticipate it and you use the increase in finances, not for your own personal gain, but you plan to use those finances well for Christ's kingdom. Next, we work hard so that we don't need help from others. In managing our money well, we work hard so that we don't have to get help from others. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, a passage we looked at extensively when we were in 2 Thessalonians. In 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 7, For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, 
but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. We work hard so that we don't need help from others. Paul says, we're trying to set the example for you. I want to set that example for you. I want to set the example for you what it looks like to work hard, to manage your money well, so that you don't need financial assistance from somebody else. Right? So how does this look practically in my life? So I came to, to our deacons a couple of months ago. Right? So our church budget has always been based on percentages. Right? So, so you guys give as the Lord leads. We don't mandate you give. We don't, we don't ask you give a certain amount. We don't even impose a 10% because I, I don't see that in the New Testament specifically. So we just tell you to give cheerfully, to, to examine your budget, examine your income, examine your needs, and then determine what you can give cheerfully to this church. And then we take that money and we distribute it into our budget through a, through a percentage system. Right? So a percentage goes to missions, percentage goes to our operations, Percentage goes into savings so that we can help each other in our church when we come on tough times. And then because the Bible says that the, that the elders that labor in the area of teaching are, are to be compensated, and it's right and it's good for them to be compensated, a percentage has been coming to me as part of being a teaching elder here at Sovereign Hope. And I went to our, our, our deacons a couple months ago and I said, I'm, I'm making more money than I need. Like, because of my hard work at Trinity, because of the raises at Trinity, because of the increase in position at Trinity, what I'm bringing from the church is more than I need. And I don't want to continue taking that amount of money. So, so I've gone to them, and we're going to be revealing this in a couple of weeks, but I, I went to them and I said, as we get ready for this new budget for 2015, it needs to be reworked to where I'm getting less money from the church than what I've been getting. Because I don't need it. And I would rather it be put into the position where we can give it to the people that are going to leave this church to go plant overseas than for me to continue taking it. I want to imitate what Paul's imitating here, right? So I have no intentions of being full-time here, no intentions of continuing to take money from this church. I want to imitate what it means to work hard, to, to labor hard to where you don't need the assistance from somebody else. That's the command here. That's, that's the idea here. That's the... That's the principle here that Paul's laying out, that we work hard, that we increase our labor, we increase the fruit of our labor, that God blesses that so that we don't have to rely on other people. We work hard so that we're able to share with others. Ephesians 4.28 Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. The principle here is that we go from being somebody who needs to take from others, we work so hard that we have enough to give away to others. And that goes back to what we're praying for as a church family. That you would work so hard in your job that you would see it as an avenue of worship, that you would see the big picture that as you work hard at your job, as you strive to worship God at your job, that God is going to bless those efforts, that there may be financial increase that comes, not from a health and wealth standpoint, not from a, if you do this, then God owes you this type of thing, but that God honors hard work 
and that we're able to take that, we're able to take the benefit of that and pour it back into his kingdom. That we don't steal, we don't, need it. We don't have to steal because we're not working hard enough, but that we're working so hard that we have enough to share with those in need. And when we send six to eight people overseas to plant a church, there's going to be a great financial need. There's going to be a great financial need. And I'm praying and trusting that over the next five years that God's going to provide financially. And not just magically, right? Like I'm not expecting that God's just going to start dumping money from anonymous people into our budget, into our bank account. I don't expect to go to our giving box and see anonymous checks placed there because we're praying that God would increase our finances. I'm praying that God will increase our finances, and by doing so, I'm praying that you guys will embrace your jobs and work hard for his glory, that you'll worship well Monday through Friday, that your employers will recognize how hard you're working and will respond and bless you financially so that God's kingdom can expand, so that we can go to six to eight people and say, look, we've got plenty of money. Financial provision is not a concern for you. If you want to go, if you want to go from this church and be a missionary and and, and spread the gospel to people that have never heard about Jesus, the financial problem is off the table because God has provided for it. Because our people have worked hard for five years and we're reaping the benefits of it and we're ready to send people overseas. We manage our money well so we can share it with others. Number four, serve your coworkers. So the first three have to do with our effort, that we depend on God, we develop our skill, we manage our money, we worship God through that effort, and then we worship God through our interaction by serving our coworkers. We avoid the task-oriented mindset. I don't know if you're like me, but there were times in, in when I was in the classroom at Trinity that I would, I would go days, sometimes even weeks, and finally have to stop back and say, what am I doing? All I'm striving to do right now, I feel like, is to accomplish lesson plans and accomplish quizzes and tests, and I'm missing the connection with my students. I'm missing the fact that I've got individuals, kids here, that are, that are giving me their attention, and I'm not connecting with their hearts. I'm missing the, the personal interaction for the sake of accomplishing tasks and trying to blow through curriculum and trying to blow through tests and quizzes and just accomplish, 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 accomplish. If we're not careful, we go to our jobs and we miss the people that God is crossing our paths with. We miss the individuals that God is placing before us and the opportunities that we have to converse with them. I saw a really cool um, video that somebody at Chick-fil-A put out. Um, I think it was back from 2012. Just talked about how every individual has a story, and it, and it kind of it was a video where they kind of panned around a, just a normal Chick-fil-A restaurant, and talked about and you see people ordering and, and just interacting and sitting and eating, and they kind of talked about some of the backstories that these people could potentially have. And, and it's always a stark reminder to me when I hear kids in classes start sharing prayer requests about parents that are going about, about to get a divorce or a, a loved one that's been lost recently. And you start to see, I start to see my students not just as people that fill my seats and, and help me accomplish tasks with the curriculum, but, but real people that are going through real problems and need real encouragement. And the same is true for the people that you work with. People that you work with are real people that go home to real places 
with real family problems, with real financial problems that we have the opportunity to interact with, that we have the opportunity to reach and speak to and worship God through the way that we interact with them. We serve our coworkers by avoiding that task-oriented mindset. The command to love our neighbor is to be carried out at work. We encourage our coworker. We go the extra mile with our customers. We're called to weave our Christian worldview into our workplace through meaningful conversations. In Psalm chapter 40, verse 6. Psalm chapter 40, verse 6, it says, In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, this is not the right verse. See if I can find it real quick. Um, Hmm. No, can't find it. We'll skip that amazing point that I was about to make. Um, We'll go right to the next one. Be the first one to volunteer. Set the tone. Set the example. In in your job place, be the first one to volunteer for things. Set the tone. Set the example. I hired a guy um, this year to to teach for me. Um, He was coming from another Christian school. um, Didn't know anything about him. Took a chance on him. Turns out we went to Liberty at the same time, but, but we didn't really interact or anything. This guy is awesome, right? Like, like our work environment is better because this guy is there. Now, he's not the most gifted teacher. He's made some mistakes that have caused me some headaches that I've had to go back and kind of fix and correct silly stuff that, that you know, is not really a big deal. Overall, this guy is awesome. And it's not because he's the best teacher, but it's because of the mindset that he comes to every day at work. If I send out a mass email to my teachers and say, hey, I need somebody to do this, Within five minutes, he's already fired back and said, I'll do it. I don't need any more compensation. I don't need any benefits from this. You need something done, I'll do it. He comes to me constantly and says, anything you need me to do, I'm ready to do it. You just let me know. Never hesitates, never balks when I ask him to do something. Always is initiating to do more. He's just that kind of guy. He's the type of guy that I believe we should all be in our workplaces. The type of people that that your boss says, man, I'm glad I hired that person. They may not even fully understand why you work the way that you work. They may not even fully understand that it's motivated by what Christ has done in your life. But you're doing your work in such a way. Remember I challenged you last week so that you don't get fired. But you're doing your work in such a way where your environment, the work environment is just better because you're there. Because of the effort that you're putting forth. Because of the way that you're serving your co-workers, your co-workers are thankful that you're there. Find ways to pray for your co-workers. These are ways that we can serve our co-workers. We can worship God by loving our neighbor at work. By faithfully loving our neighbor at work. Serving them, finding ways to, to uh, creatively serve them. God gets the glory and honor for that.
So a lot of what we've talked about these past two weeks has just been practical stuff, practical things that, that if you incorporate these into your life, these are ways for you to worship God well at your workplace, being content with what God has given you, embracing your job, doing it excellent, doing it efficiently, having high ethical standards, uh, uh, being individuals of integrity, coming prepared, coming on time, keeping a proper perspective, depending on God, developing your skill, managing your money, serving those around you while you're there. These are all ways that we worship God. It's what God had commanded Adam and Eve to do when he gave them jobs to accomplish in the garden. He said, I'm giving you a task. I haven't just created you and stuck you in paradise to sit back and enjoy life. I've called you to do something. I've called you to glorify me, to honor me in the way that you work, in the way that you cultivate, in the way that you subdue the earth. In your notes, some gender difference, the roles of man and woman. And I want want to use this this closing material to kind of point us in the direction of where we're going next week. There are some... Some clear differences about man and woman in the way that we're created. So, so God creates man and woman in his image. He, he creates man and then he creates woman as the helpmate for man. And what I want us to see moving forward next week is, is some of the gender differences that are there. Why God has created man. Why God has created woman. And what that means for us as we move forward I've challenged you in the area of productivity that you need to understand the roles that God has given you as a husband or as a wife, as a father, as a mother, that you understand the roles that God has given you and how to accomplish those roles. And I want us to see that as man and woman, we've been given different roles, important roles, equally important roles, but there's different roles that have been given out by God for male and female that are to be accomplished by male and female. Because of the ways that he's created us differently. I want to give you kind of a taste of this in regards to the role of man in work. The role of man in work. Ultimately, man is called to initiate and lead. Man is called to initiate and lead within his family, the church, in the workplace. Man is called to initiate and lead within his family, the church, in the workplace. The role of woman in work. Woman is called to respond and support male leadership within the family, the church, and the workplace. Woman is called to respond and support male leadership within the family, the church, and the workplace. So as we're, as we're kind of trying to figure out, okay, what do I do with this knowledge about work and how to worship God through work, it's important that we understand the work that God has assigned to us as male and female, that we understand the gender differences and the callings that God has placed upon us. Some, some support passages that we're going to look at more in depth, but I wanted to kind of share these with you to get you thinking. In 1 Corinthians 14, now we're not going to go in depth with these. All I simply want to do by showing you these passages is to show that there are different roles for male and female in regards to work. In 1 Corinthians 14, verse 33, 
For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, Verses 8 through 15, it says, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Now, both of these passages have to do with the work that women are called to do within the church, right? So, so these are responsibilities that are different that a woman is not supposed to exercise within the church. Ways of service within the church that are for males and not for females. And a lot of people want to take these passages and say, well, that's cultural. Like that was a cultural thing back then that Paul was speaking to, and that's different now. With the women's movement that we've seen in history, men and women are, are, are far more equal in our society. And so, really, there should be nothing that holds a woman back from, from doing the exact same things as a man is doing. Right? It's a cultural thing. But look what Paul says in verse 13. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Paul appeals to Genesis 2 for why he's making this argument. He's not appealing to culture. He's not even appealing to, to the sin part. He's saying Adam was created first, then Eve. This, this is my argument for why I'm mandating this type of worship within your church. It's a creation thing. It's the way that God has created us. In Titus chapter 2... Verses 3 through 5. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. The role of man is to initiate and to lead within the family. The role of the woman is to respond and support the male leadership within the family, within the church, within the workplace. We're going to see that in more detail. We're going to see what Scripture has to say about where we're the same when it comes to our gender and where we're different because of our gender. We're going to see how we're equally created in the image of God. There's no greater or lesser perspective because one was created first and the other was created second. That we're both created in the image of God. But we're both created with different responsibilities, with different tasks to accomplish. And so I want to use what we've been talking about in regards to work to kind of springboard us into talking about gender and what we see about gender here in Genesis 2 and Genesis 3. This is extremely relevant for what our culture is wanting to teach us right now. Our culture wants to blur the lines of gender, right? Like, like it's all the same thing. It's all the same thing. 
that, that, that males and females do the same thing, that, that, that there's no clear defining of roles, there's no real clear defining of what masculinity is and, and, and being, a, being a female. That the, 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 the lines are so blurred that they're the same almost. And so using what we see in Genesis 2 and Genesis 3, helping us better have an understanding of gender and why God created male and female. Why? Because we have the responsibility to communicate these truths to those around us, especially those that are leaving this context to go overseas one day to plant a church. That you're going to go into a society, into a culture that needs to understand how God created male and female, both in his image, but both gifted differently to work for his glory. So we're going to see that from Scripture moving forward. The implication for us this morning in your notes, the implication, the gender distinctions and roles we support, the gender distinctions and roles we support are rooted in, in the creative order of Genesis 3. The gender distinctions and roles we support are rooted in the creative order of Genesis 3. Not culturally outdated opinions. The gender distinctions and roles we support are rooted in the creative order of Genesis 3, not culturally outdated opinions. And so as we talk about male and female and the gender same and the gender difference, I want us to better understand why we even function the way that we do here at Sovereign Hope. You know, as we're praying for elders and deacons, why are we okay for praying that God would raise up deacons, both male and female, but we're only praying that God would raise up male elders. Why, why do we make the distinction between deacon and elder? Well, why is that how we function here? And showing you that it's based on the creative order of Genesis 2 and 3 and not some culturally outdated opinion that we were raised that, that women weren't pastors and so we're not going to have women pastors here. Seeing what God's word really has to say about that. And seeing that God elevates women far higher than culture was doing at that time. And so it's not even a demeaning of women the way that this scripture presents this. But showing how both male and female created specially in God's image. Given hugely important tasks to accomplish. But different tasks to accomplish. For his glory and for his honor. Alright, in the application section. Kind of wrap up for us this morning. Same ideas that we were talking about last week. Am I prone to be idle in my work or am I prone to worship my work? The two bad extremes. Am I prone to be idle in my work or am I prone to worship my work? Am I not spending enough time working hard and glorifying God through my job? Or am I spending too much time in the sense that I've now moved into the area of where I'm worshiping my job? Finding that happy medium where we're doing everything through our job for the glory of God where we want to be. Closing passages I want to give you this morning that I think reflects the type of mindset and attitude we need to have in our job place. Titus chapter 3. 
verses 1 through 8. Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 8 says, Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. To be obedient. That's hard. That's hard, especially for those of us that are going to leave today and are going to go to a job tomorrow where we have a real hard time respecting our boss. So it's a real hard thing to do to be submissive to rulers and authorities that are over us when we think we could do a better job. Or we think somebody else could do a better job. Or we just simply think that person's not doing a very good job. The Bible calls us to be submissive to rulers and authorities placed over us, no matter how poor of a job they're doing. Remember, these passages in the New Testament where this is given, it's given in the context of slaves being obedient to their masters. It's given in the context of Christians being obedient to emperors who are trying to kill Christians. Be submissive to your rulers and authorities. As we get ready to leave today, as we get ready to go into our job places tomorrow, be submissive to those that have been placed over us. To be obedient, to be ready for every good work. Let's start tomorrow off. Monday gets a bad rep, right? Everybody complains about Mondays. Let's start tomorrow with the mindset of ready for every good work, that we're going to our jobs, we're going to fulfill the tasks that are laid before us in a worshipful mindset that God has given us whatever we have to do tomorrow. He's given it to us for a purpose. We're going to be ambassadors. We're going to represent him well. We're going to do it. We're going to be ready for every good work. Verse 2, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. Again, these are hard things to do in the job place. It's easy to talk bad about people. It's easy to talk bad about coworkers that aren't pulling their weight. It's easy to grumble and to complain, to quarrel. Instead, we're called to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy towards all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. What's the motivation that Paul uses here in talking to Titus about why to be submissive to rulers and authorities and why to be obedient, why to be ready for every good work, why to speak evil of no one, why to avoid quarreling, why to be gentle? Why do we do these things? Because of the gospel. Paul says because of the gospel, because what Jesus has accomplished in your life, the fact that he has done everything necessary for your salvation, that your work week this week, your performance this week has nothing to do with earning your salvation. 
doesn't matter how good of a job you do. doesn't matter if you get fired this week. doesn't matter if you lose your temperate job this week. It has nothing to do with your salvation, that Christ has already earned salvation for us. He's already worked everything out so that our salvation is made available. And because of that mercy, because of the righteousness made available to us by Christ, we can confidently go to work tomorrow, be submissive to the rulers and authorities placed over us, ready for every good work before us. Because we've been poured out with the Holy Spirit. We're to be devoted to every good work. I want to encourage you as we get ready to leave that, that this week would be different for you. That the tasks that are before you, the jobs that you have to accomplish, that you would do them this week in a way that's done with an attitude of worship. That you see it as a gift from God, an opportunity, an, uh, an arena, an avenue to show others the excellencies of Christ. And that you would do it well. That you would work hard. That you would do it faithfully. That you would see that it's what you're created for. You would depend on God in all of it. You would work hard through your effort, through your interaction with others, worshiping Him and bringing glory to Him. Let's pray. Father, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that You have, have created me and, giving, and given to me a, a job that I'm able to work. Father, I thank You that You have made provision for my family financially. God, I'm thankful for the grace that you've shown me in, in my job place. Father, I'm thankful that, thankful that you're, you have honored my hard work and, and labor that, that ultimately has been accomplished because you've given me the abilities, you've given me the skills to do what I've done. God, I pray that you would continue to work in me, continue to work through me. Father, that I would be able to set a good example for our church of what it means to work hard, to, to labor well. God, I pray that you would give me the ability to use the money that you've blessed me with, not only for my own family's needs, but for the ability to share with others. God, I pray that all of us this week would be able to, to use our jobs as a tool of worship for you. God, help us to realize and, and see that our identity our security is not wrapped up in the jobs that you've given us. That ultimately you're the source of all our provision. God, I pray that we would see that reputation in Genesis 2 that you made clear to Adam. That we depend upon you for everything. And that as we work this week, we depend upon you to accomplish our jobs well. To teach our children well to manage our homes well. God, help us to do these tasks with joy, with contentment, with a perspective of wanting to honor you and glorify you in all of it. And God, I pray that as we move forward that we would, we would see the beauty of what it means to be male and female and how you've created us equally different. And how working together brings you the maximum glory possible. God, I pray that through our continued study, you would continue to raise up godly men who are ready to fulfill the task that you have for them.
and godly women who are ready to fulfill the task that you have for them. Pray that we would worship you well this week in all that we say and do. In our effort and in our interaction with those around us. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.